Hey, sorry to interrupt you. But folks online are like, what is going on in that room? We're really glad if you're online that you're there. And if you're here in this room, we're glad that you're here. And we know that because of the online capability that a lot of you, vacations and various things, we want to keep you connected to what we're doing this summer. And we're spending some time on one verse at a, at a time. And we're pulling out verses that we feel like will be good compasses for you. As you try to find true north coming out of whatever it is you've been coming out of. Now you're seeing people again for the first time, maybe engaging in some relationships. And so this verse, Ephesians 4.32, we're spending two weeks on because it's a tough verse. And the subject is tough. And usually it's a, a tall mountain for us to climb. Let me, let me show you the verse. We started on it last week. In fact, let's just say it together. It'll kind of... Bury it deep in our hearts. If you're online in your living room, say it out loud. It'll be good for you. Let's try it together. Ready? Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And we know it's dangerous to just pull one verse out of the scriptures and focus in on it because the context matters and the meaning could be really structured around all the stuff that it's, it's in the chapter. But the verses we're pulling out, we're giving you all the context. We want you to grasp what is there. And we believe that they are verses that will help us find our way forward in a bunch of different ways. And if you just stop and think about the things we've seen play out in our culture over the last several months, if we had all just stopped for a moment and thought, you know what, we want to be kind and compassionate to one another. If we had been reminded of this at opportune times, maybe what we wouldn't have said, maybe what we wouldn't have thought, or maybe what we wouldn't have done. Not confessing anybody else's sins, because that's one of our favorite things, right, is to confess somebody else's sins. But we're just going to think about us right now, and, and that would have been great. The focus for us is both of these ideas, being kind and compassionate, but then chiefly this one, forgiving each other. And then today we'll focus a little bit on this whole idea of why, just as in Christ God forgave you. Paul, in just a few very short words, lays out some theology that helps us understand why in the world we would want to forgive. Because holding a grudge or bitterness Holding on to resentment can feel so satisfying at times because we believe we're justified and we believe somebody ought to be held accountable and we believe justice ought to occur and we even, if we're honest, would like a little vengeance along the way, just a little cherry on top. And so these are the things that keep us from experiencing the grace and mercy that God wants to give you. And we would say that that includes freedom, incredible amount of freedom. And if you were here last week or watched and you thought about this verse, it could be that you thought of a, a deal, something in the past, a relationship, something broken, betrayal, hurt, and it could be an absolutely egregious thing that occurred in your life that broke God's heart as well. And it could be that you thought, this mountain is too big to climb. I, I don't want anything to do with that. I, I see what they're saying, but I'm going to shove that aside, and I'm not going to get engaged in that. I, I boxed that up years ago. And I don't want to touch it. It's nice when it's in the box because all the squigglies get stuck in there and I don't have to deal with them. But it could be that God's drawing you to a different path. And it might be that you made that decision to box this up years ago or even in the middle of the week when God's spirit kept poking at you because the mountain just seems too tall to climb. And it could be that the mountain seems too tall to climb because you misunderstand the nature of forgiveness. And this is important, and this is where most of us get hung up 
with a verse like this or even the teachings of Jesus when we're called to love our enemies or forgive other people. So the question that we ought to wrestle with before we go any further, just so that we're on the same page, is this. What does it mean to forgive? I mean, does it mean that we got to be buddies again? Does it mean we got to reconcile? Does it mean we have to invite that idiot over for dinner? Does it mean that we have to get back into business? Does it mean that I have to put him back in the will? What does it mean for me to forgive? And this is, this is important because if you misunderstand the nature of forgiveness, then you will stay stuck. And if you stay stuck, this is, this is the, big, the big piece of it, then you will miss out on God's grace and his mercy. And he doesn't want that. He, he wants you flooded with it. And the reason, apart from the fact that, that he wants you to give it to other people, that, that's just a bonus. The reason why God wants you to experience that, because he loves you so unbelievably, undeniably, more than you could ever ask, dream, or fathom. He loves you that much. And there are so many things that we put in the way of that love. And so we walk through our life trying to perform our way into his goodness, trying to wish and hope that we could be the people that we're not yet. And many times it's because we don't understand this question. So let's dig in a little bit. It's a little technical, a few lists, but I don't want you to miss it. You can skip the stuff that doesn't matter to you, but remember the one or two things that kind of hit you between uh, the eyes, just right there in the heart. Cool. Forgiveness. Let's talk about what it isn't first. Forgiveness doesn't require a lot of things. But, and this list could be a lot longer. But the things on this list seem to be the places where we get stuck and hung up along the way. Here's the first one. Forgiveness doesn't require that you reconcile a relationship. Doesn't mean that at all. In fact, because of some of the things that have happened to you and the betrayal that occurred, you have made the decision that you can't walk any longer with anybody like that, that you, you don't want to reconcile that relationship. And the idea of doing that is insurmountable to you. And there's nothing wrong with that. You can't be friends with everyone. You can't allow some relationships to be a part of your life. And forgiveness doesn't require that reconciliation occur. That doesn't mean that it won't. I mean, it could, it's possible, but it doesn't have to. Forgiveness doesn't have reconciliation as an outcome or a prerequisite. Forgiveness can occur without that. Second bullet's really key. Forgiveness doesn't require that you give up any hope of justice. God is a God of justice. Scriptures say that when his reign comes in full, that justice rolls down like a mighty stream. God is all about justice. And sometimes justice occurs through man-made laws, civic and national and so on and so forth. Sometimes justice occurs through natural laws. That person that gossiped about you and that betrayed you with their words and spread stories about you, all of a sudden their friends don't trust them anymore because they know if they gossip about me, they're gonna gossip about you and that's a natural law. They lose trust because they confess the sins of other people. That's justice. Just because you forgive doesn't mean that you can't hope for justice or even work for justice justice or show up in court to testify so that justice can occur. Forgiveness has nothing to do with that. God is the instrument of justice and you can hope and pray and, and work for it. And God desires for you to do that. Unrelated though to forgiveness. Some of you struggle with the emotional side of this and forgiveness doesn't require that you are okay with what happened. 
Some of you have mistakenly believed that when I forgive, that means that I am giving a, a carte blanche or, or saying, you know, this doesn't matter that you did this to me. That isn't the case at all. Many things that happen in our lives, your life, betrayal, hurt, all those things are not okay. They weren't okay and they'll never be okay. And you don't have to sign off saying, you know what, I'm okay with what happened. That is not what forgiveness means. I don't know who came up with the phrase forgive and forget, but it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Have you ever tried to forget anything? It's utterly impossible. God gave you this endowment of memory. In fact, memory is so important to God. All through Scripture, he says, remember, the night, and we'll celebrate this. If you don't have your elements ready, you should get them ready. Jesus says, remember. If you couldn't remember, can you imagine how many times you would re you repeat the same mistakes anyway? Take away your memory. Think about how awful that would be. This is so important that you have a memory. God gave it to you, and the idea that you would forgive and forget is... Whoever said that, you know, they should take it back. They really should. But we will forgive them for saying such an egregious thing. <laughs> so it, forgiveness doesn't require that you have to forget about what happened. And this last piece is a, is a big deal because some of us have mistakenly believed that somebody needs to own it, somebody needs to apologize. Somebody needs to understand what they did before they can be forgiven. And I don't know why we have this idea, but it's not true. Forgiveness doesn't require an apology or acknowledgement. This is so key because some of you have allowed this mistaken belief to keep you stuck in prison. They don't have to own it. Look, forgiveness can happen with you in a chair in a quiet room with nobody nearby, nobody acknowledging anything, and you can come to a place of grace and mercy and forgiveness, just God leading you, Holy Spirit softening your heart, and you opening your hands. That's it. It can happen just like that. They don't need to be a part of it. You don't have to reconcile. You don't have to give up your hope of justice. You don't have to be okay with it. You don't have to forget it. And they don't have to have apologized or owned it to help you get there. In fact, if that were true, if it were true that somebody had to apologize, think about how they would hold you hostage with bitterness and resentment. And would they really own it to the degree that you need them to? Would they really understand what they did to you and the hurt and the pain that was caused? And so if you're playing along, you know, if you're paying attention and you're reading this list, you might think, I, I like that list because some of these things have really kept me stuck, but it leaves me wondering, what, 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 am I, what am I doing when I'm forgiving? What am I actually doing? What's required of me to forgive? And so one of the books that we recommended was Lewis B. Smead's The Art of Forgiving. Great book. If you don't have it and you're dealing with this, there's friction or some hurt that you need to get over and, and work through, I would recommend the book. His definition of what forgiveness is, is the most profound and I believe succinct, on point, powerful, and very helpful. Here's what he says. Forgiveness is, when we forgive, we do these things. And they're kind of in a progression, but like we said last week, just because we're preaching about this doesn't mean you need to forgive somebody. God may just be planting a seed that comes to fruition 10 years down the road. And don't be mistaken and believe that forgiveness happens in an instant. It's a 
for some of us, a lifelong multi-year process that God does in layers over and over and over again. You'll wake up one day and think, have I even forgiven it all? And of course, God has begun to do work and did do work, and he's just taking you down a path. For most of us, it doesn't happen in a moment. It happens over years. But he lays out these, not as steps, but as part of an overall process. So when we forgive, one of the first things that happens is this. We rediscover the humanity of the person who hurts us. So when somebody is selfish in their behavior and they betray us or hurt us in some unique way, our tendency is to say about that person or to that person, you are a selfish what? person. You are a selfish person. When we behave selfishly, what we have a tendency to think or believe is we did a selfish thing. Not that we're a selfish person. Those are very different ideas. When we do not forgive somebody, we blame them for who they are, not for what they did. And the distinction is so key. So when we discover rediscover the humanity of the person who hurt us. Well, we're declaring that Psalm 139 that says that somebody was made fearfully and wonderfully, or in Genesis, that they were made in God's image. What we're saying and declaring is that we believe that's true of that person. It's true of every person that's ever hurt you. And we rediscover their humanity. So we don't blame them for who they are. Their identity is fixed and determined by God. That's above our pay grade. We blame them for what they did or a behavior they engaged in or the way they acted or something they said. And so in doing that, we rediscover their humanity. We come to this understanding that I've made mistakes and they've made mistakes. Doesn't discount it. It doesn't make it okay. None of that's true. But when we rediscover their humanity... It is the crack in the door that God uses to begin putting light through. And that light is love. And we begin to love differently. Then what usually happens is, and this is where really the catalyst of forgiveness gets legs, we surrender our right to get even. Doesn't mean you give up your hope for justice. Justice is good. But we surrender our right for vengeance. And this is hard because we want people to hurt like we hurt. We want them to know what it feels like. We want them to experience the pain we experienced. And when we want that, we are taking God's place because we become the administrator of justice. And that is also above our pay grade. And when we begin to surrender it, we decide we don't need to get even. And this can take... A long time because the hurt is deep. It feels incredibly personal. Business is never business. It's always personal. Relationships are always personal. And so we begin to surrender it. And then we feel it rise up again. We surrender it again. We rediscover their humanity again. And usually when we forgive, we go back and forth between these two things before we even get near the third, which can take even longer. We revise our feelings toward the person we forgive. And then when you put these three together, you begin to see why Jesus could say something so 
audacious and bold as that we need to love our, what? Enemies. That's right. Now, Jesus didn't tell us to love our enemies because it's difficult, although it is. He didn't tell us to love our enemies so that we would have a hard time in life. He told us to love our enemies so that we would experience something of him that many people never do. Many people never do. In fact, some people walk with Jesus for years and never experience the depth of what Jesus described ever, ever. They're in churches. They wear the name of Jesus. They love scripture. They love God. They're forgiven, but they never experience the depth of it the way Jesus described. And to help us understand that, Jesus told a story. I can't imagine talking about forgiveness without telling the story this parable that Jesus told. Because when we read this verse on the card that's out there, you can pick it up and tack it somewhere so you can remember it. Paul says, forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. The theology around that very last statement is wrapped up in this parable that Jesus told. Right before Jesus told the parable, Peter had a question. And I love that this happened, that Peter had a question, because Peter's got a question guy. He's kind of opening my big mouth and stick my foot in it kind of guy. And so I I resonate with Peter, because I do that a lot. Peter came to Jesus, and he said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. And Peter says this up to seven, because, I mean, there's some religious reasons and Jewish reasons why he came to that number. But he's thinking Jesus will say, wow, Peter, you're so forgiving. That's amazing. You're such a gracious individual. I mean, look at Peter, James. And John, don't you think you should be more like Peter? So Peter's asked this question. He offers an answer, and Jesus looks at him and says, Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but how many? 77 times. In fact, some translations, the Greek is a little confusing here. They translate it what? 70 times seven, which some of you are pretty good at math, I think. What does that equal? 490. That's a lot. Some of you were really quick on that. You didn't even use a calculator. And so let's be honest, when it comes to this number, whether it's 77 or 490, once we get above five or six, we're all in in the same boat, aren't we? How many times do I really have to forgive? I mean, the sixth time my brother cracked me across the face, I thought, Lord, that's it. I'm out. I'm done with him. 77 times, 490 times. My friend, Catherine Holman, who is a member of the church here, she she was talking with me about this verse, and she said, I believe the 77 could be 490. It doesn't matter, really, but this number 77 refers to the number of times that we have to go back to God to receive his grace so that we may have the power and the wisdom to forgive. That's how many times we have to return to him because of our, our propensity our tendency to hold a grudge and to cling to bitterness and carry resentment and even a desire for vengeance. So then Jesus tells a parable right after this, after this discussion, the very next verse begins this parable. And it's about the kingdom of God and forgiveness. And it's incredibly self-explanatory, but unless you actually put yourself empathetically in the position of the key characters, you'll miss the depth of the meaning. Here's what Jesus says. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, that's a lot of gold, was brought to him. 
debtor brought into the company of the master, the king. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Can you imagine the grief and the weight and the burden? It's my debt and the people I love are being forced to pay. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him, the king, his master. Be patient with me, he begged. Have you ever said that before to God? What about somebody you love? Be patient with me. I, I won't do it again. God, I know. I know I said that last time, but I, please be patient with me. Have you ever had that feeling? He said, be patient with me and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt and let him go. Isn't that incredible? The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. What an incredible reversal of fortune that is. Unbelievable. He didn't just say, I won't punish your family. I, I know it's a lot. To, you, you better get to work. You know, you're you're going to have to work this off very quickly or I'm just going to lose patience with you. He, he didn't do any of that. He, he didn't try to exact justice, not vengeance, but just justice. In fact, justice on behalf of the king was to cancel the debt and just let him go. That was the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that was given. Unbelievable. Can you imagine how you would feel? Has anybody ever made you feel that way? Maybe you had a debt with someone. It could have been financial, but odds are it was more emotional or spiritual or relational. And you came to them open-handed and they looked at you with warmth and kindness and hugged you and said, I forgive you, don't worry about it. And the peace that flooded your soul and the, the joy that overcame you, can you imagine what this man felt like? Here's what he does. And some of you know the story well, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, a, a paltry amount. He grabbed him and began to, what? Pay back what you owe. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. What did he beg him with? These three words, what did he say? Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison. Illegal, by the way, debtor's prison, right? I mean, it's illegal in every civilized country in the world. Thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. I just let that sink in. And of course, the parable teaches itself, doesn't it? I mean, this doesn't require a therefore or a, you know, the disciples didn't pull Jesus aside and said, what does that story mean? I mean, they didn't do any of that. It teaches itself. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that happened. Here's what the master did. The master called the servant in, you wicked servant. I, I canceled all of that debt of yours because you begged me to? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as, I had, just as I had on you? And in his anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. That's the end of the story. Now, what Jesus says next has been subject to 
incredible theological debate for centuries ever since it came out of his mouth. What does it mean? What does he mean by this? How does this work? How does salvation work? And it's not just that he says it one time. He says it in other places as well, disconnected even from this parable. But it's important that you wrestle with it. And the reason why we should wrestle with it is because the gravity of forgiveness that we withhold from others could not be impressed more deeply or more thoughtfully than when Jesus says this. Here's what he says. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And Jesus says this, and I believe he wants you to read that statement and think about all of the people that you have not forgiven. Make a list and do business and handle it. I believe that's what he wants. But what does it mean? This is important because you need to understand the nature of salvation and how we stay connected to God. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And when you read theology and theologians and all sorts of sources that try to explain the nature and the actual meaning of this verse, it's amazing the amount of gymnastics people engage in to try to help it make sense because it doesn't make sense. Because when you read the rest of the New Testament, it's very clear that God's forgiveness of me does not hinge on my behavior. If it hinged on my behavior, I would be lost and I would have no hope. It's also clear from Scripture that I am forgiven because of the death of Jesus on the cross, not because I forgive somebody. And I don't believe for a second that I will show up to the gates of heaven and God will say, welcome in. Let me check the book to be sure. Oh, there's somebody you didn't forgive and reject me from entering into the reward of eternal connection with God. I don't believe that at all. And none of scripture would support that idea. So if that's true, what did Jesus mean? Well, this is free, and what that means is, is you can accept it or toss it out. It doesn't matter to me. But this is what I believe Jesus meant when he said this. If you don't forgive others, then you probably won't experience much of God's grace and forgiveness. It's really that simple, I believe. It doesn't mean that Jesus didn't mean what he said. It means that the depth of what Jesus was saying is stronger, more profound, and more important than you and I have ever dreamed. If you don't forgive others, then you probably won't experience or feel much of God's grace and forgiveness. If you've decided that what somebody did to you is so egregious that they cannot be forgiven, then ultimately you will come to the conclusion that God feels the same way about you. When the scriptures say that by the measure that you judge others, you too will be judged, that's what it means. It means the standard that you hold somebody else to, you believe that God, by his very nature and character, is duty-bound to hold you to the very same standard. And so when you look at somebody and you withhold love and you cast judgment instead and you withhold forgiveness, then you will experience that exact same measure or level or depth of love 
from God. God desperately wants for you to know how deeply he loves you. But he knows that you can't experience it unless you're willing to love others in the very same way. Why? Oh, you were made in his image. You were made to reflect and be a conduit and channel of his love. Your judgment of others? Well, every psychologist tells us that the only reason we judge others is because of the things we don't like about ourselves anyway. And so God wants you to experience freedom from all of that. In fact, what's true is what we said last week. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. This is a powerful truth. And it's represented in all of Scripture. So it doesn't mean that you forgive today. It's a lifelong process for most of us. It doesn't even mean that you start down the path. It could be that this couple of weeks has just planted a seed that will come to fruition in, in days, weeks, months, or years to come. But God is inviting you to experience the depth of his grace and his mercy. And for some of us, all that he's waiting on is for you to offer grace and forgiveness to somebody who has wronged you. Two more quick thoughts, and we're going to engage in communion and tie all of this together. Here are the two thoughts. For some of you, the one that you need to forgive is God. And when I say forgive, I'm going to put forgive in quotes. Because you know that God is sovereign, and some things have happened in your life that you can't even begin to bear. And you believe that God has allowed this to happen or caused it to happen. And one of those is true. And your bitterness and your anger towards God is keeping you distant from him. And you need to forgive him. Our Bible study reading group is reading through the book of Job. This is the story of Job. Eventually, Job gets called to account and he comes to a place of open-handed forgiveness of God, even though he lost his entire family. Some of you need to forgive God. And you didn't really put it in that framework, but you needed to hear that statement. The second thing is this. For some of you listening online or in this place, the person that you need to forgive is yourself. The standard you hold yourself to is unachievable. And God doesn't even begin to hold you to that standard because of the grace of Jesus. And so you hold yourself to a standard that no one could ever complete. And so everything we've said about forgiveness applies not to some person that hurt you in your past, but to you and your own behavior, you and your own choices, you and your own path. And if that's the case, then everything we've said over these two weeks applies perfectly to you and your circumstances. I can think of no better, more powerful way to wrap up these two weeks than to share in communion. This, the gift of God, the sacrament of the bread and the wine, it is evidence that God loves you more than you could ever imagine. It is evidence that you are experiencing complete acceptance, the righteousness of Jesus that has made you pure and clean. And so you have some elements in front of you. Go ahead and grab those and keep them handy. We will take communion in unison before we sing one last song. Online, if you don't have your elements handy, you have about, I don't know, maybe one minute to go grab them. 
And this is what we would like to do as we take communion. We receive the forgiveness of Jesus because he held this bread before his friends and he said, this is my body, it's broken for you. We are part of a new unbreakable covenant with God because he held up a cup in front of his friends and he said, this is my blood, it is poured out for you. And it is for the forgiveness of your sins. And so Lord, in this moment, as we prepare to take these elements, we recognize as we hold this bread and this juice in our hands, that you're inviting us to a place of mercy and grace, that we may know your love and in turn share with those, even those who have betrayed us, even those whom we would call or label as enemies. And so Jesus held up the bread in front of his friends and he broke it and he said, take and eat all of you. And so this, the bread, we remember the body of Jesus and we take and eat it now. Lord, we receive this as nourishment, mercy, and grace, your body broken for us. May we consume you, this love. May it fill us and overflow our hearts. And then Jesus took the cup, the cup of Passover, knowing that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, knowing that we who have enmity between us and the Lord, we need to be reconciled. And so Jesus says, this is a new covenant. And he passed this amongst his friends and he said, take it, drink it, all of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. And so we receive this today. So Lord, we receive the body and the blood and we recognize that these gifts to us symbolize your complete, full acceptance of us, not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of the righteousness of your son, that we are fully reconciled to you in every way. And so we come to this altar, Lord. And so if there's a, an issue between us and a brother or sister, bring it to mind and we in time will deal with it. And we pray that we could live out this verse, that we would be kind and compassionate, that we would be forgiving of each other just as in Christ, God, you, our Father, has forgiven us. So Lord, meet us here in this moment.